I have to uh, do just a little bit of bragging uh, on Randy Carlton, who took a couple of days off his practice. Some of you may have been victims of this. I don't know. You might be his patients. But uh, Michael, was te- Michael Deese was telling him that uh, this ministry to youth conference or uh, M2Y conference about youth ministry in Gatlinburg was something he valued and he really encouraged our elders and deacons perhaps to give it a look or something and so Randy took him seriously and so he and I drove all the way down there and all the way back together he put up with that I listened to Christmas music all the way there and all the way back and he put up with that I mean you know and sometimes he'd start a conversation I think because he was tired of the Christmas music but it's November y'all it's November you know October 25th Hallmark started so it's time it's Christmas time. Anyway, so we're driving all the way down there in the rain and, and then all the way back in the sunshine. It was a beautiful drive on the way back. But we got to spend some time with Michael and April with all these, um, uh, these peers of his and these cohorts and co-workers of his and uh, got to see him interact with them. And I just got to tell you, it was impressive to watch Michael handle himself in those uh, situations in April as well. Uh, I, I, they had to hear me, and I'm not even sure why. I'm not a youth minister at all. In fact, I was telling them it was uh, November 8, 1998, was the, was the Sunday I switched from um, youth ministry to pulpit at Slicer Street. That makes it 20 years ago this week. So I'm an old man, uh, and I haven't worked in, with young people in a long time, and yet they, they just, hey, they're gluttons, they asked. And so I presented a couple things. One of them was something like this, not quite the same. And so Randy's going to be familiar with this. Uh, but I just, I, I got to tell you, I think uh, Michael had a great source of pride knowing that a youth deacon came to this thing and supported uh, that youth work. And we were talking about what we can do to encourage Michael because we think, we think we've got a number one people in Michael and April. And, and I'm just grateful and want to encourage them. And they feel good about being here, and that's a great thing. So I got to talk to him about patience, which I'm glad Melissa is... Uh, Melissa's in 7th and Muller. She decided she wanted to watch Noah again. Uh, we hardly got to watch him because there was a tall guy in front of him. Did anybody notice this? I mean, you could hardly see him. And so she decided she's going to sit in the balcony and be able to watch him with binoculars or something, but I don't know. Uh, but anyway, they're at 7th and Muller, so now I can talk about patience without her sitting up here going, <laughs> idiot, you don't know nothing. You know, that kind of thing. That's the kind of sound I'd hear from her down here. But I, I got to say, I'm just... Was, was this morning like an extra special kind of worship to y'all? Was there something just kind of, uh, it was one of those in your, in your life, just, uh, you need those every once in a while, and it just, I, I don't know that I can explain it. I don't know, even know why, other than you have a hundred very trained singers who are here with us. You know, that whole, makes a whole lot of difference, but I'm grateful that, that you uh, lent your voice and you were here, and we got to participate in that. So patience is this issue uh, that all of us have. Now, maybe some of you have longer fuses than others. You can hold out longer than others, but I think most of us at different seasons in life will admit patience is a difficult thing for us. So I, I just want to give you a couple examples. A guy, you know, I, I use this every once in a while, a guy driving along the side road, and he pulls out in front of you real fast, which is fine uh, if he, if he giddy, giddies up and goes, but he doesn't. He slows down, and so what do you do? And I've done all of these. I'm going to give you four options of what you could do, just four of them. I'm sure there's many others. One is that you ride his bumper so that even with his cataracts, he can see you. That's... The other one is to honk your horn loud enough for his hearing aid to pick it up. I'm thinking that's 10 seconds or so, just to make sure. This is what I used to do when I drove my, my Chevy Citation. 
Anybody heard of a Chevy, Chevy Citation? You don't see them anymore. You barely saw them when they were here. Uh, that just, but anyway, I had it, and it would drive me crazy, these people, these farmers out in Fredericktown, you know, that jump out in front of me. So I'd have a bag of Tootsie Rolls, and I would make sure they see me, and I would start tossing them like I'm in a parade, you know, like this, because they were going so slow, it was terrible. And I hope they look in their rearview mirror and see me doing this. Melissa, once I got married, she said, that's ridiculous, quit doing that. Uh, or or here's, here's one that maybe you do. You start reviewing verses in your mind about the value of patience, smiling, praying for that old guy, driving your car. How many do that? We're in church on Sunday night. Go ahead and say it. I, that's what, I don't know what you do, but those are, those are some options. Three of them are very inpatient. One of them is maybe the proper thing, right? Or, or maybe you're at Walmart and, and you don't have, there's, there's a line at the, the self-checkout, so, but all of a sudden you look up and that 20 items or less lane is completely empty and there's somebody there. There's like three times in the year that that might happen, but it happens to be when you're there. And you think, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to get in that line because I've only got like 18 items. But just before you get there, this woman rushes real fast and you start counting. She's got 32 items in that cart. Now, it seems to me if you're going to put the label up there, 20 items or less, the lady up there should count. And if you have more than that, kick you out of the line. Amen? Because no, most of you are the 32 item that sneak in there. What do you do? Well, not only that, but she gets in that line right in front of you and beep, beep, all these 32 items. And only after the total is, is added up does she get in that monstrosity of a purse to look for the debit card. And she clamors around, gets to the bottom of that, and the first one won't work, and the second one won't work. The third one's a charm, but she says, but first, I could swear that mayonnaise was $1.17, not $1.27. And you're sitting here, what do you do? You sigh real heavy with an exaggerated eye roll and let her know this is just burning me up. Whip your cart around and go to that self-checkout item, no matter, uh, self-checkout line, no matter what. Or maybe you have a Slurpee with you and you drink it all the way down and you continue sucking it real long, staring at her. That's what I want to do. Or here's the one that I bet... Danny Wallace does. You smile and share with that lady that while you've waited 45 minutes in line, there's been 15 baptisms in India. Let's stop and pray for the goodness of the Lord. And I'll break out a song written in 1824 while we do. <laughs> Maybe that's what you do. I don't know. But the whole idea is I think we know what we should do and we... We know what we want to be known for, but it's very hard to get ourselves to do this. And, and anger and patience are so closely, uh, impatience are so closely related. It's because we live in a community of people, and it doesn't revolve around us. And our schedule doesn't set the agenda for everybody. It should be true that my car sets off the traffic light to where it always turns green when it sees me. But you know what? It doesn't do that. Some reason I expect it to do that, and when it doesn't, I get impatient and angry. Why? It's never done that before. And yet that expectation lingers. And the whole idea is we, 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 we know in our own mind that that it's not going to go well. We should know we're not going to make every light. We should know it, and yet when we don't, it gets frustrating and we get impatient with it. It's like our expectations should be moderate and, and updated. Like, for instance, 
when the doctor gives you an appointment, you should be on time, but so should he, shouldn't he? In fact, I'm just going to sit here and make you wait for the rest of the sermon. Terrible. Same number of socks should come out that went in. I, it's an expectation. It makes logical sense. Uh, assembly instructions for any item, toys or furniture or whatever, should be detailed and clear and in English with a YouTube video accompanying it. When you're talking to somebody about an order or instructions, you should be able to talk to a living, breathing person. People should honor personal space and take into consideration you have a job. You know, and eating, eating should be easy for everybody, even kids. And in fact, there should be one or two restaurants everybody agrees on. There should be. You should be able to take your family to one restaurant and they all go, well, this is exactly what I wanted. I think that should be, and people should always be civil. But the problem is that's never the case, or at least it's often not the case, and so these expectations are built. Here's what Colossians says about this, and, and we had this reading just a moment ago. Colossians is, is, is talking about you need to put to death, chapter 3, put to death all these things that are part of the earthly, fallen, sinful you, the old man, the old way of being characterized. When you were immersed, y'all, you came up a new person. You came up with a new identity, which also comes with a new mission and a new way of life. And so you should have a... a a before baptism character and you should have an after baptism character is that not right is that not exactly what scripture tells us and so he says the old guy was characterized often by a lack of restraint when you look at these lists and there's one of them that Paul gives Colossians 3 he gives a list of everything you should kill off anger malice deceit and immorality and all this stuff and then he turns around and says and then put on these things take those old clothes off they're muddy and nasty put on the new stuff well, the interesting thing is if you look at all these lists of the things you should get rid of, like the works of the flesh and all that, they're largely characterized by a lack of restraint. Let me give you a list of these t typically. These are the large four categories. Now, there are some others, witchcraft and, and some other weird stuff out there, but these are the big ones. There are several words for anger, several words for greed, several words for sexual uh, desire that goes amok, and several words for not controlling your speech. And the idea is, if you look at our world right now, there is no value of restraint. There is, there is no uh, serious teaching to anybody that you should restrain yourself. It's almost not expected. And in fact, uh, I kind of think our culture right now is if you do not, if you practice restraint, you're not being true to your real self. You're not being authentic. So listen, if you're angry, blast somebody right now. No, not to their face, on Facebook. Blast them right now. If you're angry, don't hold it in. You're not being true to yourself if you don't let it fly. Don't show restraint. And if you want something, you can't afford it right now, well, don't let that be the thing. Get that plastic out and let's charge it. You shouldn't have to wait. You shouldn't have to say no to yourself. That's your true self. Give it its full vent or sexual desire. If you're attracted, go for it. Don't wait for three dates. Don't wait even for beyond one. 
If you have an attraction, go for it right now. It's all right now and be true to your emotions and self and speech if you want to say it. Please put a post on Facebook. We're dying to know what you're thinking. And into this, Paul says, put on as God's chosen ones compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Here's the word for restraint, it seems to me. Here's the definition on the screen. Keeping yourself under restraint until there's a proper time to deal with yourself. Sometimes patience doesn't have to take very long. You got somebody in front of you that, that just grates on your nerves so bad and you want to tell them off, but you just hold it in and later on you get home and you mow the yard and you can forget about it and it almost becomes a distant memory. But then there are these other things like you have this sexual desire that starts building at the age of 14, 15 years old and you can't do anything. You're not supposed to, 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 to engage in sexual activity until you're married. And for a lot of you, 24, 25, 26 or older. And so there's 10 or 12 or 13 or 14 or 20 years to practice restraint. Restraint is part of our life, and you might as well get used to it. You've got to harness yourself and tell yourself no. That's what the new person who is living by the power of the Holy Spirit knows because that's the new character. Let me give you an analogy, and I shared this with youth ministers this weekend because I couldn't think of anything else. They gave me a passage that had nothing to do with patience, and I, I just told them I can't do this. Motor oil. Let me explain to you what motor oil does. I'm a, I'm a son of a mechanic who never paid any attention until, until later when I wanted to know things that I could have known earlier and I just was foolish as a teenager and never learned. But I do know this, if you don't put oil in your car, it will mess up. And by the way, if the light comes on, it's already too late. My dad says to me, don't rely. He said, most of these lights you can rely on. You can, you've got a little bit of time whenever the, the fuel light lights up. You've got a few miles to go. He says, if the oil light comes on, you pull over right then because you've got no time left. Is that true? Okay. Because here's what happens with motor oil. The, the motor has so many parts that go real fast, and it generates a lot of heat fast. And so it's got this friction and speed, velocity, and, just, and it's got a lot of heat. Not only that, but there's a lot of junk on the highways and in the air, and it gets into that engine, and those, that junk attaches to those parts and makes it gooky and makes it even worse. How, do you, how are you going to be able to function like this? Well, you put oil, a liquid, it looks golden, and you put it in your, your car. Every how many miles? Teenagers, how many miles? It's 5,000 miles. Look at your owner's manual. The mechanics tell you three because they want to get a little more money out of you. But anyway, so here's every 5,000 miles you've got to switch it out. Now, what color is it when you're done with it? Pitch black. It's got all that junk in it. But now listen, here's what happens. You put oil in there, and there's plenty of it, and it runs like a river through your engine constantly, and it holds that junk in suspension. It won't let that junk attach, get a foothold, Paul would say. doesn't let that junk get attached to the parts of that engine that would make it get hotter. It cools that engine off, but more importantly, it keeps that junk in suspension doesn't let it get attached, runs all the way through the oil, and finally gets to the filter where it safely dumps out that junk and goes on for another trip. 
Here's what the Christian's motor oil is. It's your patience. It's when I am willing to suspend my response to things until there's an appropriate time to dump it out. I've got to have oil in my life. And by the way, you need to check this regularly because when, you are o when you're low on your patience, it starts coming out. Things that didn't bother you before start to bother you now. And the way I check this is I, I'm, I'm pretty self-aware most of the time, but even when I'm not, I've got a wife who is Spencer-aware. And she says, you're getting sharp with us. She can always tell when they've got no study time during the day. I come home, I get snappy because I've made no progress towards Sunday, right? And she says, well, you just need to get yourself somewhere, get yourself in a closet somewhere and do some praying or something. You've got to take care of this. You have a wife that tell you this? Anybody? Yeah, she's, that's your helpmate, right? So the idea is you've got to have patience going through you, but how do you do this? How do you keep that level of patience sustained in your life? And Scripture helps us with this. We're just going to look at a few Scriptures, and that's going to be it. And I, and, I, and I would have you write these down if patience is an issue for you or lack thereof. Here's Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, where... Uh, uh, let's just read this. Let's, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to know the will of God, and I want you to have wisdom and understanding of it. I want you to, grow, I want you to figure out why God says what he, what he says. I want you to know this, okay? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him in every way. And then He gives four of these. We've talked about this before and some of these others. But look at number three when He says, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. We need to know why, wisdom is, why patience is important. It's important because God says this is the wisdom for your life. You may not see value in patience. But if you'll look at life very long, James says, look at the farmer. He just has to be patient for the spring and autumn rains. He's just got to be able to look at him and learn from him. And there are times and seasons. You've got to be patient, and you've got to let things happen. This is the wisdom of God for you. So God wants you to know that if you want to be pleasing to him, and if you want to walk in a manner worthy of him, you focus on being patient. And I'll hear people say, well, don't pray for patience. Because God will give you opportunity to practice it. You don't have an option about practicing patience. This is not a, a, an option that you have, an alternative. God says it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's what happens when people are living in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so if that's if a concern to you, to please God and to walk worthy of Him and to be pleasing to Him in every way, well, if that's it, patience has to be part of your life. It pleases God. And sometimes... Patience isn't about not hurting people's feelings, and it's not about doing self-destructive things or hurting somebody else. It's just about this. The most pleasing thing you can do for him in a lot of circumstances, be patient, keep your mouth shut, and suspend your judgment until there's a proper time to handle it. Next verse. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Talking about every person of faith. That's what Hebrews is about. He says... God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints, and you still do. I want to say something about that verse. If any of you do anything good for the Lord or for somebody else, God never loses track of it. 
and the church may not commend you, and you may not get your name in the bulletin, and maybe not one elder comes up to you and says, we thank you for what you've done. Can I tell you something? God sees it, and he jots it down, and he knows full well. Just so you know. All right. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. There's an end time. So you only have to be patient till the end, right? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The only people who will be there for God at the end in heaven are people who through faith practiced patience. Next verse. James chapter 5. I just want to underline two things in here, as you can see. He says be patient two or three times, but there's two imperatives in here for sure. One is be patient. Don't grumble and complain. Grumbling and complaining is impatience. When we're on a youth trip somewhere, used to be, not anymore, I don't go, but when you're on a youth trip and they say, I don't want to eat there. Are we going to eat tonight or not? All these grumblings and complainings, it's impatience. It's a lack of trust in the, in the youth minister drives me crazy. I've not been on a youth trip yet where we missed a meal, ever. You eat more on youth trips than you do for Thanksgiving and Christmas combined. If that's not what you're doing right now, that's the next thing you're going to do is eat. So we've never missed one. I've never said, hey, instead of doing lunch this time, let's have a fast. Never have I tried that with the youth people because I know when they get home, they'll tell their parents and I will be fired, right? It's just weird how that no grumbling and complaining, but notice establish your hearts. Here's what he's saying. When things are difficult, that's when you decide to work on patience. You cannot develop patience in a calm, peaceful atmosphere. You can't sit in your home on a wonderful day where there's no demands on you and say, God, I'm going to work on patience today. You cannot establish yourself in patience and the calm, serene atmosphere of vacation. The only way you can decide to fix your life to be patient is in the middle of impatience, you decide, now's the time I'm going to practice this. This is when I've got to work on it. I've got to establish my life as a life of patience in the midst of frustration. That's the only way you can do it. And that's why when people say don't pray for patience, they know that God will present you opportunities to expand on it and you don't want them, but you're going to get them anyway. Last verse, last slide. Notice Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. Both times when patience is brought up, two things are coupled. Bearing with people and forgiving. Patience is practiced like this. You will slight me sometimes. You will do things that offend me sometimes. And I'm not even going to bring it up. Do you know that sometimes we bring up Matthew 18 and say you need to practice with your brothers all the time? But did you know there's an awful lot of times when you don't even need to practice it? You just overlook it? There's an awful lot of times when a brother just does something and he's, I don't know why he does it. I don't know why she said it. I don't know why they acted that way. They were acting out of character. Forget about it! Let it go. Just forget it. It's not worth bringing it up. Don't go. Now, if th there are certain things you have to go, and that's what Jesus is saying. There are certain times you have to, but there's just a lot of times 
when we just do little slights on each other that we just kind of overlook it. It's called patience. And then there are those who don't do you wrong, they just annoy you. They just, they're so strange in the things they do. I can't tell you how many times I have to just go, Daryl Hyde, why did you put that on Facebook? That's crazy. But he's crazy, so what? You kinda, and everybody knows it, just let it go, right? It's kinda, it, he didn't sin against anybody. He's just weird. I mean, we've got people like this. Do you know anybody like this here? Point to them, would you? No, don't, don't. I, you know who they are. I just think sometimes, you know, in a big community like this, we have people that are different from us. And, and I just think what patience means, and apparently it does because Paul mentions it twice, Patience just means let some things go and just purge it back there and just don't even bring it up with them. They may not even remember what they did. Just let it go or, or, or let that strange fella be strange. Just let them be strange and let them make you better by you going, you know, I could say something, but I won't. Not only will I say something, but I'll just disregard that thought and let it go. And that's the most beautiful way, and I think that's the how of patience a lot of times. Just kind of overlook these things. Patience is an amazing thing. And I think maybe in addition to these verses I would throw on there, think about and meditate on what God's done for you. Do you know how patient God's been with you? The only, and, and the thing about Scripture is it tells us two reasons why God's still patient. There's two of them. One is this. He's patient with people who are even shaking their fist at him and hating him. He's patient to give them chances to repent. Change your mind. He's very long-suffering. He'll take a lot of abuse from humanity in order to give them opportunity to come to their senses. But the other reason he gives is this. Even those of us who are Christians need some time to become more like Jesus, and that takes time. Do you ever notice this? I get impatient with people because I want them to be baptized and super mature a year later. I want people to be baptized and mature, boom, just like that. And do you realize even here at Valley View with all these people, there are some people who've been seasoned Christians for a long time, and then there's some very new ones, and if we expect them all to have the same maturity level, that's kind of crazy. So who should be more patient? The new Christian or the seasoned one? Who should be more patient? The Christian who's, who's 65 or the Christian, a new Christian who's 24? Shouldn't it be the 65-year-old? Seems like it to me. Meditate on the fact that God is patient with you. And, and I'm just urging you, I'm just urging you, you make sure your oil level's high. Make sure that that patience running through you, empowered by the Holy Spirit's high, and suspend judgment on things and suspend your reaction to things until there's an appropriate place and time to let it go. And come back new and try again. If we'll do this with each other, we'll have more patience. But if we'll do this with the world, they'll kind of get a little taste of what the patience of God looks like. And by doing that, maybe, maybe they'll give them a shot and his patience will pay off. I don't know what you give a response to this for. I don't know uh, what you would respond to a lesson like this for necessarily. 
other than if you've held off for whatever reason and not responded to God, I'm going to tell you, don't be patient with that. Patience should go thin, and you should decide, I need to respond to him now. But if patience is an issue for you, and you want prayers of the congregation, we'll help with that in any way that we can. But the greatest way you can respond is just simply be a person who strives to be more patient, letting the Spirit take charge more and more, because self-control is number nine. And it's one of the greatest, greatest needs living in this world right now that we've got. If there's any way we can help you this evening, make it known as we stand and as we sing.